This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. I am here today with Paulos of Myth Pilot. Uh, if you're listening to this, you may have seen him around. He runs a fantastic Substack um, called Myth Pilot, and it's very hard to explain simply what it is about. So maybe I'll leave that to you. But we'll, we'll, we're going to dive into one article in particular that you wrote, which is called um, "Heroes Rise, Monsters Die." Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Isaac, great to be here. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, it's been really cool to interact and come to know you a little bit on Twitter. Your spec ad um, about Twitter 2.0 that you released with a bunch of other people last week was was awesome. That was just the bomb. It was so exciting to, to see that uh, drop and, and come to life and get all the traction that it did. Um, so yeah, it's great to be here. Um, and, you know, if I tell you a little bit about my Substack, um, you know, essentially what I'm doing is, is three different things. Um, I don't have like a fixed, you know, kind of brand or, 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 or a narrow niche, but you know, what I do is I write fiction, I do some cultural commentary and then every once in a while I have like a plan or a proposal, like, you know, Hey, we should all do this. Um, and so that's, that's what my Substack covers. It runs the gamut. Um, but yeah, it's great to be here. So, but talk a little bit more about your exact beat because, so I've had, for example, on this podcast, Scott Minion, who deals with like um, signs and symbology and Anglo-Saxon history, which isn't exactly myths. It's It's close to myths, but it's not exactly myths. And then we have this concept of the egregore, which we can talk about today, that a lot of people talk about these days that I still don't understand what that is. And you talk about egregores. And we're seeing a lot about this concept of myth-making. I, I published a piece recently um, in The Federalist. It's very long-winded. My writing is fucking sucking these days. Once I start writing for other people, it just starts to suck. But um, anyway... Uh, so I wrote this piece. It's very long-winded, but it's about the creation of heroes, right? Which isn't yes. exactly myths e either. So we have heroes and then we have like signs and symbols. And of course we have propaganda, but myths are really their own thing. And, and you weave in mythology, not just the substance of it, but literally like the process of formation yes. into discussion of our current lives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's correct. And, you know, as my Twitter handle suggests, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in myth as a way 
to understand the social landscape. Um, and so the way that I think about it is that all myths are true. So all real myths describe something true about the world. Um, right. Yep. Yep. As society changes, what society believes to be true can change. And so some myths, you know, begin to lose their relevance. Um, myths have power. Uh, so we shape our lives according to stories. Um, you know, just a very simple example of that is the hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of millennial women who changed their lives because they watched sex in the city. Right. Um, and so they're, uh, they're taking cues about how to order their lives from stories that they've seen on TV. You know, there's this myth of the, you know, the young independent woman who goes to the city and she finds, you know, excitement and fulfillment and romance there. And that's, you know, that's a myth. Um, but is that a myth? Is that a myth? Because it doesn't a myth have to have a specific, now we're talking about like two different types of myths. In one sense, a myth is something that's a lie, right? That's like, a, it's like made up. It's not real. But in another sense, a myth is a story that is a reflection of like a people. Yeah, I, I see them. I see them as the same thing. You know, there's old myths and there's modern myths, and they're they're stories, right? Um, and so, so like going on a little bit further, um, I'm I'm interested in understanding ancient myth because it helps me understand present myth much better. Um, and what I'm trying to understand in a lot of my pieces is uh like the roots of initiation of a of a mass movement um how symbols change how people are are motivated um how energy that comes from a certain source um can be turned back um against the original source um how symbols are vacated or how symbols are enriched um the, the making of heroes and the destruction of monsters. Um, these, these are, these are all things that um, have just as much relevance today uh, as they did thousands of years ago. So in, in understanding the one, and especially um, using kind of the figure of a monster, um, which is something that you've touched on in your writing as well as an analytic tool, um, that, that can help us to understand the components, the motivations, the sources of power, and then also how to bring them down as well. Totally. So what is a monster? So I wrote this piece, which, which um, you, you brought up a little bit, of, uh, you, which you just brought up. Um, and, it's uh, it's it's on Substack. It's called uh, "Heroes Rise, Monsters Fall," and it's about a statue of Medusa that was put in Collect Park in Manhattan in 2020. And this statue of Medusa, what it does is it takes the myth, the Medusa myth, and it inverts it um, so that instead of the one being killed, she's the one holding the head of Perseus, the hist the the hero in the history. Um, so a, a monster in a narrow sense is, is a character, 
but on a much larger sense, a monster is a way to represent a social evil. Yeah. Um, and so using, using the, the figure of the character, you can understand the social evil a lot more comprehensively. Right. Yeah, well, you, but the thing is, most people digesting images of monsters don't understand that, right? It's not like your average watcher of a monster film is sitting there and thinking Godzilla is a reflection of the nuclear threat. <laughs> it's just right. something that they feel. Right. Um, yeah, like Marvel is the same way. People have maybe they're they're enjoying inter- entertainment. It's the first person view of, um, you know, of, of their understanding of of you know they see a cool character on the screen. Um, but you know, I think you and I and probably a lot of your your listeners, uh, you know, we're we're symbol rotators, so we're we're interested in uh, how these myths are put together. What are the building blocks? Um, and we're interested in understanding these characters and, and what they represent because we want to reverse engineer them so we can write our own stories uh, and and have our own impacts in the world. Right. Well, this piece is absolutely fantastic. Heroes Rise, Monsters Fall. I, I thought you'd just written it, but in fact, you wrote this a year ago, over a year ago. Yeah, that's correct. And it is just so, so good. And it's so ahead of the curve because you start with this horrifying statue. It's this horrifying bronze statue that was placed in, uh, where was this placed? It was in, it was in Manhattan. It was in yeah. Manhattan. And it was staring at the building in which Harvey Weinstein was being tried. And this statue is a Medusa. So it's this slithery, obviously Medusa is a figure. And I want you to tell me this real story of Medusa, but this is like a hyper-realistic bronze statue of Medusa who's making this scary look uh, at the place where Harvey Weinstein is being tried. And in her hand, she is holding the head of Perseus. And this is as if to say, okay, motherfucker, you men, we're back. Like Medusa, we're back. And this matches up with other statues in New York City that are doing this exact same thing. So we have we have also Fearless Girl, who is standing and staring down the bull. And we know that, of course, Fearless Girl was like a line item on some ESG budget of a giant hedge fund, <laughs> right? Yes. State Street. So we have that. And then we also have... Uh, the new lawgiver statue, which is another, it's the same color. And it's also this hyper feminine um, sort of snake, like slithering snake figure thing. And um, it's got two horns. Yeah. Yeah. It's horns. And it's, it's what's so funny is this type of imagery is like snakes and horns. And uh, you use a few other examples here um, of Sybil, which is this image of this many-breasted fertility goddess. Um, and there's a Mami Wata statue in, in uh, New Orleans that's also a kind of snake thing. So this sort of like Gorgon-esque snake-slash-ram kind of uh, imagery seems to be 
really what the feminist mind, the feminist uh, mind's eye adopts as its form of imagery. And this version, I didn't even realize this existed. And this was a, a sort of a precursor to a bunch of other examples of this same thing. And they're always, for some reason, they're always naked. <laughs> you know, like there, there's, all, there's always boobs and vaginas involved in, in some way. Um, so yes. your piece like really gets to the core of like why this is happening and what it really means. And you do it by telling the story of Medusa and sort of the meaning of the story of Medusa and Perseus, because of course this statue is reversing the real statue, which is Perseus holding the head of Medusa. So um, yeah, just tell us the story here of, of what happened with Perseus and Medusa and why is this a reversal of that? Sure, sure. So there's there's two stories. There's one, there's the Roman story, which Ovid wrote. And then there's an older story because the Medusa imagery goes back thousands of years, actually, before the Romans, right to when the Greeks first arrived to to the Balkan Peninsula. Essentially, they they came from they came from the Caucasus. They came from Turkey, and for a while, they were an island dwelling little civilization, kind of on on the fringes of the mainland. Um, and the Medusa imagery, so it, it predates the Ovid story by by millennia. Um, the Ovid story, which is what remains really in the in the popular imagination is kind of the official story is this idea of a beautiful young woman who is in the temple of athena and she was violated by poseidon um and then because she was involved in this unfortunate circumstance she was cursed by athena but if you peel back the layers of myth you can see uh, a much more interesting story, which is that it's the incursion of the Greeks onto the peninsula mythologized. And there are actually scholars from the 20th century who theorize that the Medusa myth is the story of the Greeks coming onto the mainland. And at, at some point they overrun the temples of this Medusa goddess and they strip away the masks of the priestesses. Um, and then all those temple sites are converted to temples of Athena. Um, and so all of the elements of the myth are there where Poseidon, who is the sea god, you know, it's the Greeks washing in from the ocean um, and, and overrunning the mainland, um, having this conflict with the old civilization there, which they defeat. Um, and this this ancient goddess uh, becomes a monster in in their new myth, um, and that's that's actually a very interesting story because it it has to do with historical circumstance, um, and the the implications of that civilization and what it was like and what that conflict actually entailed. Uh, they're very they're very sinister. Um, the, the elements of the Medusa myth, um, 
So you have this figure of Perseus, who's this who's this heroic young man. He comes from the islands. Um, he destroys this monster who has this hatred of mortal men. This is a terrifying monster who can freeze you to stone merely by just looking at her. And so it's it's something terrible and, and horrific. Um, it's associated with uh, human sacrifice. Um, that's something that Perseus, when when he wins, he goes on through the rest of the Mediterranean and he confronts various villains uh, who are associated with human sacrifice. Um, and then I also, this is a little bit more speculation, but I connect it to this idea of, of massive systems of polygamy um, because that's also hinted at in the Perseus myth of, of confronting these, these systems of polygamy um, where essentially the majority of men in these societies are, are locked out of reproduction um, because the, the way that these early agricultural societies were composed, um, they were essentially ruled by these enormously wealthy theocratic figures um, who, who maintained massive harems for themselves. Um, and so the majority of, of men were existed in a state of slavery. Um, they, they didn't have, they, you know, societies had lost the, the tools of, of being able to exist as hunter gatherers. So they were locked into these agricultural societies where they had to subsist on, on grains or, or whatever was being grown in that society. If, if they tried to go outside of it, uh, they, they didn't have the means to do that. And so they were essentially stuck. And so in contrast to that, um, you have Perseus, who's this Aryan seaborne warrior kind of figure. Um, and he's monogamous. You know, he takes one wife. Uh, that's that's the custom of the Greeks. He rejects human sacrifice. Um, and instead of ruling um, by manipulation and propaganda, he rules by by arms and force of personality. Um, and so you see in the Medusa myth, these these two distinct versions of culture, very, very different, um, come into crisis with each other. And you see you see Perseus triumphing um, and you have you have to dig very deep to, to find echoes of that. But um, the hints are there. And it's it's really fascinating and it has very sinister implications um, and it, it has a lot of parallels with um, how we how we experience the world today and, you know, how, how we see things from, you know, our corner of Twitter, uh, where it, it looks like the elites are, are planning some kind of total system or that's something that they desire. Uh, where you'd be locked into your pod and you'd be eating the bugs and you'd subsist on what was given to you. Um, and all of all of the markers of, of success, uh, building a family, uh, having your own house, uh, finding, you know, building, building your own little kingdom such that it is. Uh, a lot of these things are, are locked away from, from young people. Um, and so it, it seemed to me uh, a it, a tremendous metaphor to, you know, first of all, explore and, and 
a fascinating ancient myth, but also relate it to our present day and time. Well, you're talking about uh, basically a longhouse culture in which <clears throat> one man has 50 wives uh, and everything is sort of all overseen by that harem versus a Western one-to-one -one orderly, you know, what we think of as Western civilization. But I want to I want to just stick with the actual myth before we get into all the meaning stuff. So sure. who is Polydictes? Dectes. So yeah, Polydectes is a king who lives on one of the islands outside of Greece. Um and So this is in the myth, right? This is not this your is, interpretation. This, this is in the myth. Yeah, this is this is in the myth. Okay. And he um he wants to marry Perseus's mother. Um, but he also has designs on on other women as well, who he also wants to marry. And so, Holly, that, Holly Dictes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that goes that goes back to the the problems with with polygamy, um, and he um, he what what he wants to do is actually arrange this marriage, and he demands a wedding gift, and. This is this is a way in which you see that you know, in an older established generation uh, demands resources from a younger generation. It's um, it's it's parasitic. Um, it, he demands a gift of of horses. Um, you know this is this is one way that uh, early rulers would accumulate tribute and and, and resources for themselves. Um, and Perseus rejects that. In the myth, he's he goes in in the myth, and and so Perseus rejects that, and he says, "I'll I'll do you one better. I'll bring you the head of this monster." Um, and so he's boasting. And in the myth, he goes to his parents, the gods, and he receives several gifts. Um, one of them, which I think is very interesting, is is these winged sandals, the winged right. sandals of 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 Hermes. But to me, that suggests mobility. It suggests that what what he's actually doing is he's taking to the sea, um, and that's um, that symbolized his, his mobility around the Mediterranean and his ships uh, with his war band. It's it's symbolized with these with the image of these winged sandals. Wait, but where? Hold on. So, why? Who does he want to give a gift to again? He, he wants to. He wants to give this gift to Polydectes. Um, so why does he, he want to give a gift to Polydectes, though? Because, um, because he knows that the gift will be destructive, and he knows that the gift will be his ruin. He knows oh, that he doesn't like Polydectes because Polydectes wants to marry his mom. Yeah, yeah, and also he's he's um, it's like a boomer with social security. He's um, he's he's demanding this tribute, which uh, is is just completely unreasonable and would would immiserate him. I see. Okay. And is his um, mom married? Is Percy is his mom married? No, 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 no. She's not. She's not. Um, so yeah, he just wants to preserve his mother from from being married to this. Um, this, this old guy um and that's yeah that's uh that's that's the impetus that's the impetus uh the the call to action got it um and so 
from there, he he sets out to to find the Gorgon, and he has uh, several little episodes where he goes to talk to uh, the Grey Eye, who are uh, you know these kind of like wise old crone figures, but he has to trick them by by so you know he he goes through a series of little adventures, some side quests, but he figures out where Medusa is located. Um, and he, he sneaks up on her, um, and he's been forewarned of her powers. Um, but also he's, he's not afraid, which is the other thing is that all of, all of the, the webs of rumor that, that surround this monster, um, or surround, you know, if you think about it in the, in the actual ancient context that surround this civilization, um, he doesn't, he those things have no effect on him. Um, and, and he devises a way to, to not be influenced by, by Medusa's power to turn people to stone. The, um, the, the power to turn people to stone is, is actually very interesting. Um, in the myth, the way that it's described is that just merely it, it, she doesn't have to look at you you just by looking at her would be turned to stone. Right. And what's uh, that? What? Sorry, go ahead. No, I just remember all this, but it's, it's nice to get a refresher. I definitely remember, but it's good to go step by step and just rehash it. So keep going. What is, what were you going to ask? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is actually really key because what that suggests is that the immobilizing effect is actually something that's just experienced in the mind of the observer. Mm. And it's, it's a situation where if, if you believe that Medusa can turn you to stone, then when you see her, you're going to be so frightened that you're immobilized. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. And she is hideous, right? I mean, she is also hideous. Yes. Yes. In, in the in the ancient Gorgon imagery that comes from the the millennia of of the Greeks way before the Romans, she's this um, half half animal, half monster figure. Yeah, she has fangs and right. she's horrifying, and which is really hilarious because these new versions of Medusa that we're seeing everywhere are, of course, beautiful versions right because because like the the feminine cannot stand to be ugly like that is the one thing they cannot abide so it has to yeah. be all the power of medusa but it has to be simultaneously beautiful like objectively beautiful also funny i meant to mention this to you another manifestation of new medusa is the amazon ad did you see the amazon ad with medusa I did see that. Yeah, where she goes into the bar. It's and... Medusa at the bar. And of course, she's smoking hot, right? Because it's like, again, it's like clearly this is like, I, I don't know if egregore is the right word, but clearly this imagery is something that modern feminists and the modern uh, girl boss, they uh, they identify with this snaky Gorgon Medusa thing. Like for some reason, the the divine feminine relates to that image. Yeah, it's like once it's like once the image of the face is shown, uh, yeah. you're you're just not allowed to argue with it. Like that shuts down arguments, um, and that's that's how it's experienced in the modern times. But 
in, in the ancient context, what it suggests is a propaganda regime, a one where uh, the, the power of, of this ancient total state um, is, is, is amplified and everyone believes in it. And so everyone has this idea that if you approach Medusa, you, you will be turned to stone. Uh, there's, there's an immense fear that surrounds that image. Um, but Perseus overcomes that. It, it doesn't have an effect on him. Well, uh, is it that the fear turn? Is it there is fear of turning to stone or that the stone is, I think it's that the metaphor is that when you are afraid, you turn to stone. Yes. Yeah. And you know the I mean? way that I, you know, the, the way that I think about it in, in the modern context is actually um, the power of the media. Yeah. And that's exactly. where, that's, that's where it aligns with, um, with your writing, with your piece. Right. Um, well, it's what aligns with so many people in our space. They, they feel it's so funny how it's God, it's so apt because so many people are so, they're really afraid. There's so much more afraid when, when men it's weird. Men are really very poorly equipped to deal with a female enemy. They, they they really like are not able to deal with it. And and there's like a fear that goes along with it because it's like a fear of being exposed that you yes. don't get with a male enemy, right? Like a male enemy is just head to head. It's like, you know, there's no fear of embarrassment. Whereas the power, the female power is a embarrassing. It's that it, so that's why so many people are anons, right? They're terrified of being revealed as being like bad. And I think that that's what the Medusa power is. It's like, you're going to be frozen because you're going to be like, you know, she's going to see you. Although I understand what you're saying is that she doesn't actually have to see you, but this is how I'm interpreting. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No. And once the media turns its gaze on you, you're, you're immobilized. Yeah. yeah. Once you're, you're, you know, you have the check mark in the Southern poverty law center, you're, you're frozen. So, um, so yeah, Perseus sneaks into the Gorgon's lair, um, and he, he uses some tricks to to avoid her powers. But essentially, um, he catches her sleeping, and he defeats her there. And well, he uses he, a mirror, right? Yeah, he uses he uses his shield polished into a mirror so that he only observes her indirectly. Yeah, which is also perfect because that's a metaphor for revealing them right it's like you know yes it's like holding up a mirror yeah and what's what's really interesting to me about what happens next is that he doesn't just discard the head he he takes it and he uses it for his own purposes and he has um he he goes back to polydectes and he has a dramatic confrontation where he he he's he comes back they um there's there's like a rival who challenges him like it's at this wedding feast essentially and and he pulls out the head out of the bag and and he he turns them all to stone um and then he goes all over the rest of the mediterranean and he does the same thing he he um he goes to save a young woman danae um from a sea monster uh, oh, right. Because her 
her parents uh, were sacrificing her to to you know to the sea monster, another demon, um, and he turns he turns the sea monster to stone as well, um, and so he just goes all over the Mediterranean and he and he wields this newfound power. Um, it's not like he he puts on a mask; he uses it himself. It, what what he's saying is, I am Perseus, I am here, but I also have this new tool. Uh, it's like he's he's learned the power of instilling that same kind of fear that that he was fighting against, but he uses it for good. Um, and yeah. then eventually he goes back to the Greek mainland and he he is understood in the myth as the founder of Mycenae, which is um, the the first one of the first great Greek cities. And it's actually the origin of many of the heroes of the Trojan War. Um, and so this is this is a, a heroic, it's an epic story because it has a happy ending um, as opposed to a tragedy. Um, and there's a continuation and, and, and a, a foundation of a, of a new civilization that is firmly installed on the Greek peninsula where before they had just been peripheral to it. Right. Right. Wow. There's just so much meaning packed into this. And you have, you have an incredible, okay. So he defeats Medusa. He, um, uses these kind of tricks to get to her and he, he ends her power. And in doing so, it's like a victory of the Western way over this long house, uh, snake way. So you, you also have this incredible moment or incredible point where, um, this is a precursor to Alexander cutting the Gordian knot, which is also another snake-like metaphor. It's this like lumpy snake thing, you know, that we've been fighting forever. And now we see this imagery rising. Um. So yes. before I ask you this specific question, why is it that whatever this thing we're fighting, it tends to have this same look to it? Like, you know, images of the of the Bible, or you know, you see the 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 plastic surgery face, right? Like the Madonna plastic surgery face, or the man's the man plastic surgery face that is like our enemy. <laughs> you know, like it has yeah. this certain look, like the the braids and circles around the head, like the like giant bun braid things that look like like horns, you know. And just yeah. like the satanic imagery, satanic imagery all looks like this. It all has this same image. Why is this what it looks like? Why does it take these same? Is it, does it go back to the garden? You know, like, is it because it's the snake, even though in the garden, it's actually not a snake until, you know, it's actually, do you know that it's actually not a snake until it, it's banished by God? It's first oh, something yeah. else, but yeah. So, well, so, so the way the way that I see it is that it's it's the confrontation between a propaganda state, which rules by manipulation of symbols, versus of uh, a, a kind of state which is exemplified by the Western king, essentially, um, who rules in in his own name. Um, in a completely transparent alpha Chad manner. Um, and so the the propaganda state has to 
is is adept at at setting up these symbols and setting up these these systems of belief um where um you're 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 scared into believing it um it the 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 propaganda state doesn't work in, unless you actually give it your belief which is why it's so intent on on setting up these symbols in in public areas um and calling on like this ancient imagery that that represents all of their ambitions um versus the the, the western state which it, it rules by force so force of force of arms is is the center of its power um but in contrast that's much more honest um and and much more real because force of arms is is ultimately what um defines the configuration of of civilizations and and nations um, and so the the narrative state is is something that you get when civilizations um, become very abstracted. Uh, when civilizations are young, um, the the symbols are immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this king um, in this land who did this thing, and that's something that you can directly reference. But over time, those things become abstracted into systems of symbology. And when they become too abstracted, they're actually cut off from reality. Um, and then uh, they become decadent um, and they become ripe for uh, for, for disruption uh, once again by by someone who by, by newcomers who wield the efficiency of force. And so that's what we see with Perseus versus the Medusa civilization um, is that. He's a hero. He comes in with his weapons. Um, he destroys the monster, but what he's really destroying is the belief um, in, in in all of these structures, all of the prestige, all of the taboos, all of the social systems, the the priestly classes, um, the the systems of of observation and surveillance and censure yeah i have uh, this it's funny I, you're literally reading the paragraph you're like saying the paragraph that i'm like reading right now so should i just read the paragraph sure sure okay so this is this was the paragraph i wanted to highlight to like that's the crux of the whole thing to me and i wanted to just have you like explain it so you say <clears throat> In fact, what has been accomplished with Perseus's adamantine stroke is a great cutting away of state power from the thicket of custom that cultivated, but also immobilized it. The great body of the narrative state, which rules through manipulation, is left behind. The myriad rules that govern life and commerce, the hysterical webs of public opinion and the taboos, the eternal deference to precedent, the serpentine organs of surveillance and censure, the enormous and sclerotic institutions, the mouths of the mob, all these that were thought to be essential are amputated, and yet the head lives on. They were never necessary in the first place. Therefore, the body of the narrative state reveals its extraneity, which I'm assuming extraneity means like uselessness. Yes. Um, and is humiliated in the favor of a leaner challenger who wields the efficiency of force. 
This great act will be echoed centuries later when Alexander cuts the Gordian knot, solving a seemingly intractable problem with the focused organizing power to set things apart, to discriminate between essential and non-essential, and thus to open new avenues for action. The whole of the European Faustian spirit begins with this cut. It's great. Fantastic. So, but what do you mean the whole arc? What's the European Faustian spirit? What am I missing there? Sure. Yeah. So the foundation of the West, the central belief is the belief in what works, what is effective. And that's, that's it. Why is that the way? Well, so that, that also has to do with uh, pursuit of, of techniques, pursuit of excellence at, at all costs. Um, And so the way that the Greeks understood it, was that the thing which is best is the thing which has most impact in the real world. And so the best philosophy, the best art, the best war fighting is that which is effective. I see. Um, and it's it's Faustian because that has to do with Faust, because that that is a, a relentless drive it, that you have to make some trade-offs where you discard a lot of things that don't work um, in in favor of, of that ideal. And so, yeah, the idea of Faust, which is uh, a play, has to do with this kind of devil's bargain where, where you, you pursue power, um, right. but you leave a lot of other things behind. Um, but that that same impulse for the thing which is best is is what works and the thing which is best it's it's not custom it's not precedent it's not the way that we've always done it it's not the way it's not even the way that the king necessarily thinks we should do it it's just what what works um that has to do with uh, a way of living it has to do with a way of fighting um and it has to do with a program of inquiry which is also uh, the the scientific impulse for for understanding um, and for reducing a problem down to its most basic elements um, and and setting aside um, all preconceptions and so that's a habit of thought which has to do with with reducing and and cutting away um, and simplifying. Um, and and focusing only on on the solution to the problem, um, and that's a uniquely Western way of looking at things. You know, many more people see things from from that way now, but um, it it comes from the Greeks, who for them uh, that that was how they conceived of excellence, and excellence was always to be found in 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 competition in the world, and and what succeeded in competition. I see what you're saying. So, yeah, I guess the thing that's like a little slippery here is it's like in our plight, it's like the the. I'm not saying it has to match this at all. I'm I'm and it shouldn't match it. And I think actually the fact that you're not trying to map it exactly to our fight says a lot about your you know independence as a thinker and and quality as a thinker. But it's like. 
the cutting away to me it's it's haven't we been occupied though more so like we've been occupied where uh in this instance perseus was the he was the 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 raider right whereas like are we the raiders or have we been raided (laughs) you know it's like it's almost like we've been like, because we were, you know, America, what, 50 years ago was very um, Faustian, right? I mean, that's what we were, going to the moon, like that whole thing. That's like what we were, right? But then now we've been, like, have we rotted and now we need somebody from the outside to come in? Or is it just kind of a different fight? Uh, there's there's a lot of, so first of all, uh, you know, this essay, it's exploratory in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I leave um, a lot of questions open that I don't know how to answer quite yet. Um, but the way that these things can normally be done is where there's a sclerotic central civilization, a dissident group can go to the periphery um, and there they can form a, a new community and gain a sense of themselves and refine their ideas. Um, and then once they're ready, they can come back to the center and there they'll have a confrontation and a crisis. And then they can, they can reoccupy. And if they're successful, they'll, they'll do it as the victors and they'll be the new rulers. Um, and if they're not successful, then uh, they, you know, they all get imprisoned or, or killed. Um, but that, so, you know, an example of this pattern is actually uh, the Bolsheviks um, in the decades leading up to um, the, um, in, leading up to the Bolshevik revolution, a lot of Russian dissidents were sent off to Siberia. Um, and that was the best thing that could have ever happened to them because they all made connections with each other. Um, they theorized, they, they built up um, their, their motivation and their resolve. And then when the crisis of the First World War um, imposed so many hardships on Russia, they, they saw their opportunity to reinsert themselves. Um, but that's just one example of the pattern. And so the idea, you know, I think the challenge that we have right now is to separate ourselves um, intellectually, um, but also culturally and um, to literally make a separate community um, and build ourselves up. And then when there's an opportunity uh, to, to re-engage. Um, like then, then we raid. Point, then we raid. So we have to like build our own island and then raid. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Meta- metaphorically, uh, you know, re, um, re- remapping of symbols, presenting presenting our vision. And then at that point, you know, the, the time that we've all spent away um, lets us build up and solidify our, our vision and our resolve and uh, How do we our, our get brotherhood away, with though? each other. How do we get away? Well, um, you're doing it. Um, you've, you've taken a very decisive step into this, uh, this, this alternative world. Uh, you've set up your marketing agency. You've struck out your flag on the frontier. 
this is a place where not a lot of other people are existing and you're one of the first to do it in, in this particular area in, in advertising. Um, and so that's a, that's a perfect example. Yeah, no, thanks. No, for sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's interesting, man. It's, it's like, God, we're really hitting some, uh, some deep, it's just like so deep, you know, it reminds me of reading Nietzsche, you know, it's like you get to this level and it's just really hard to explain. <laughs> it's like so hard to like in my head, I'm like following so closely, but it's like, how would I explain this to somebody? You know, it's, it's very hard. Um, like, I feel like I would start explaining it and they would just be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you ever feel that way? Um, yeah, I, I do as well. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I see a lot of other people heading in the same direction. And so I know we're on the right track. Well, and it's also, I think, going to this level is what's so advantageous is that you can go to this level. Like truth, I, I tweeted about this yesterday. Truth, truth is like, it's not going away. Like tr truth is a resource. You know what I mean? It's like there. It's an it's an objective. People think it's subjective. It's not. That's a totally not true. It's an objective thing. And it's like going there has a certain feeling and it's like a fountain or something, you know, and it's like we have that fountain. That's like ours. Like they're not using it. <laughs> you know, like we we can we can do that. Like that's like our our big weapon is just saying true things. And you know, like uh, this type of truth truth is the high that you're doing is like the Nietzschean type of truth where you're hitting this like really deep shit that's like almost impossible to 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 get to. But it's like in the mainstream institutions, they're not even getting within. They're in a they're so far from this level of truth. And it's like, if they're finding, if this, if they have to go to your Substack to find, you know, if they have to find this on Substack, we're just an absolute magnet. Like we're going to be just, we're like, we have to win because it's just such a strength. And I think that that's almost why, like, we don't have our music, you know, like everybody's like, where's your music? And, and I look at music and I'm like, what are the big musics right now? The big musics actually are reactionary. It's like crazy techno. Like techno is like taking over the world, which is very much like techno and house, which is very much like a reactive music. It's just that that's not censored. You know, like they, the, of course we don't have our own music because like what we would make doesn't need to be like, there's no reason for it not to be immediately commodified, which it is. Well, well, we'll get there. Um, the The way that I see it is that if we can operate on the realm of myth, and so that's that's um, that's the third rule of myth. So the the rules of myth are one, myths are real; two, myths have power; three, myths are magic; four, myths reoccur and echo. And so, rule three: myths myths are magic. In in the realm of myth. And I don't, I don't literally mean like magic, like, um, like magic tricks or like shooting fireballs or, 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 uh, you know, things like that. I mean, I mean the magic of motivating people, right. um, and, and inspiring people to believe new things. And so when you operate on the realm of myth, you can do magic things. Like you can vacate a symbol, um, and you can invalidate it 
you can transmute it. You can turn energy back on an attacker. Um, you can have you can have uh, amazing transformations, and so you can see um, ordinary people become heroes, and suddenly they're on the national stage, and they have relevance to to everyone, and they've become more than a person, and now they're actually more of a symbol for for every and a vehicle for everyone's hopes. You can identify monsters and you can think about how to attack them and destroy them. Um, and so all, all of these things have to do with, with mass motivation, which is the most powerful force. When you can change people's beliefs on a mass scale, you can do anything. That's how, that's how anything in history was ever accomplished. And you know, the perfect example of that is the fall of the Soviet Union, is that one day everyone just woke up and decided that they didn't believe in <laughs> in the symbols of yeah. of of communism in, in, in Russia and its satellite states any longer. And so they began to work quietly and, and peacefully in opposition to it. Well, um, and they I were, mean, they'd so, been, to be fair, they they had been, it was like, they were also fucking pretty, you know, I mean, they, it was obvious that it wasn't working also, right? I mean, it's not like they just woke up the next day. It was like their lives were terrible. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But uh, yeah. those those realizations had to be communicated. No, absolutely. And they, and they, you know, they were, they were communicated in art, film and literature, um, yeah. Bulgakov, Master and Margarita, that was that was transcribed on people's typewriters and passed around on like reprinted newspaper. Wait, what is that? Sorry, what is that? The Master and Margarita was a what is that? A, that was a book written in the heart of the Soviet Union by a writer called Mikhail uh, Bulgakov. Oh, cool. Um, and he had actually he had actually been a patron of Joseph Stalin um, early in his career, but then he fell on the wrong side of, of the regime. Um, and he, he wrote this novel, um, which, which is just, is just fantastic. And it's just, it's just, it's just funny. It's just a, a funny, but also a very deep novel. And people, um, people read it and they passed it from one to the other. And it was, it was a major moment um, where people could actually attach their dissatisfactions to something concrete simply by saying, you know, have you read this book? And, it, you know, it's like that today a little bit with BAP. Um, and, you know, if I could give another example um, in Iran, um, before the Iranian revolution, the Ayatollah, the one, the one who actually came into power, um, eventually he was, he was originally banished. And so he went to France and what he started doing is he started just making speeches on tapes. He started podcasting, but they would smuggle these tapes back into Iran. And what people would do is play them on the telephone and people would take telephones um, and and take one telephone and like flip it around and put it next to another telephone so that you could make long chains of like a hundred people listening in on on speakerphone essentially yeah um, 
and they would they would just listen to these tapes and hear about you know the coming islamic revolution and they believed it there were enough people who believed it that when he came back the people were ready for him yeah. and look at iran today it's still... <laughs> <laughs> uh and so the, this is this is this is how this is how beliefs are changed um and when when you when you do the work i believe when you do the work to understand how symbols are 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 validated and composed and how they're given strength and how you can manipulate symbols um then then you have the basic building blocks to be able to communicate on this level absolutely it's yeah we're we're all kind of like uh yeah, dealing with these this type of sort of secondary messaging in our own way. Um, okay, so you have this other moment in here that I love, where you're saying uh, uh, that you had kind of a, a an experience with your own egregore that you faced face to face, which is a, a supernatural experience. So can you can you recount that? Yeah. Um, so. This is this is um, this this is something that did actually happen to me. It wasn't just a figure. It wasn't a fiction that I included to to give the essay some flavor. A few years ago, I was sitting in my study, and I lived in a place that that had a study that faced a balcony at the time, and it was well past midnight and all the lights were off and i was reading on my phone about this situation um there's there's a man uh, called jeff younger and he was in a failing marriage um and he he had children with this woman and this woman was was taking his son um, you know, their child. And she was, she was trying to trans him. She was trying to raise him, um, as a, as, as a girl. And this is something that he was trying to fight. There was quite a lot of attention in, in Texas and, and all over the U S on this, on this case. Um, and I, I was reading this with, with horror because it seemed like the authorities were just powerless to do anything that it, Given her custody, the courts were sympathetic. Uh, they were they were sympathetic to the gender doctors. Um, nothing. It seemed that nothing he could do would have any success to take the children back from her. Um, and it seemed like this poor kid was was doomed. Um, and the the details of the case just affected me very powerfully because I did a lot of research on it. Um, he was about three years old. He started watching uh, cartoons. He had, he, he had a lot of enthusiasm for the female characters. Twin. You know, he was a yes. twin. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, and clearly and so this it, woman it, basically just wanted a girl and a boy, you know, yeah. and she's a total fucking psycho. And she was saying to him, like, she was, uh, yeah, he like, I played with a Barbie doll once and she, she started like whispering in his ear. What did she say? Like only monsters only go after uh, boy babies, which is so weird. Right. It's like, where was the twin? It was, it wasn't the twin there. Like, 
I I don't know. It, yeah, it's 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 very terrifying. It's a terrifying yeah. story. And this is and this is a story that is now happening all over the United States. Um, and so in that moment, I, I had a a moment of private resolve that I would that I would burn down the world for for this little boy that I would have nothing to do with with any institution ever that that would that would support something like this in in any way and that I would I would dedicate myself to to the downfall of of these structures just come what come what may and this was this was like this is like a private oath um and in in that moment what actually happened was that there was a storm outside and the doors uh, blasted open like literally literally as as i you know just as i finished make making making that commitment that that private commitment the the doors blasted open and um there was there was the wind and the rain and um you know the wind howled through all the house it was it was completely dark um it was it was a very creepy moment um it's amazing now now uh, you know on the level of analysis you know i don't think an egregore extends to to influence over nature um what is I an egregore can... what just tell us what an egregore is an, an egregore is a way to understand in in a, a concrete way you know a, a way a way to understand it's a symbol that that represents what a lot of people believe um and so when a lot of people believe the same thing um it brings it starts to bring things into reality that are self-perpetuating and so the example that I give in the piece is that a lot of people might have the idea that um, taking heroin is romantic, um, like Amy Winehouse um, and and others. They they see you know they see it as something artistic, um, and that's that's a pernicious egregore because if enough people believe that, then enough people. Are, are going to begin taking drugs and they'll produce more content that romanticizes their addiction. Um, and then more people will see that. And so it, it creates, it creates a cycle of self-sustaining. Um, there are, there are, so the idea of the egregore usually has a negative connotation. It's, it's an anti-pattern, um, something that you get sucked into. Um, so like the trans phenomenon uh, would be another example of an egregore. Um, and so you can understand these things on completely on a completely materialist level. It's just what do people believe? Uh, what do people perpetuate? And once you have enough people who believe and perpetuate uh, a certain set of ideas, then you're, you're stuck with it. It's going to be in the world. And you know, it might, it might not ever go away. Um, but there's spiritual traditions that, you know, attach other metaphysical realities to these. And so that's something that I was hinting at a little bit with, you know, this idea of the storm breaking in, but 
for me, what what I experienced it is it was this moment of of me versus the dark forces of the world. Uh, I and you know we I I you know I, I have I, I I am religious, so I it is something that I attach meaning to, but I can I can see how other people might not. Attach wait, what do you mean? Attach meaning to what? Like special significance to it. To what? You know, is to to this to this episode that I to this thing that happened. Where, oh yes. yeah, no, yeah. dude. I the, the, I think that stuff is totally weird. I this stuff happens to me all the time. I see like ghosts and shit. Like I'm not even kidding. Like I uh, I have experiences like this all the time. So yeah. I think yeah. I, you just have to be super sensitive. You know, you, you have to be like ultra sensitive, which obviously you are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to hit this depth, but. If you're sensitive, you get into this wavelength of these occurrences and they happen all the time. You know, my grandfather just died like uh, a couple months ago. And I knew that when he died, I was going to know. And I woke up in the middle of the night, exact moment he died. And I knew. And next morning, sure enough, four calls on the phone. And that type of stuff happens all the time. I uh, Usually for me, it's like dreams, like, like fresh, like, uh, like uh, forward dreams, you know, like I'll dream about a, a guy jumping off a bridge and then like the next day that'll I'll see it or I'll like experience it in some way. But I've experienced I've had this stuff my whole life, man. So I, I think that that stuff is really real. And it's just most people are just really dulled, like their senses are very dulled. And it seems to me like you're you're um that was like the moment that you committed, <laughs> you know, I don't know yes. if it was the egregore coming after you, but maybe it was just the power of that moment, you know, of like, it was just the over, I mean, look, I don't know. I obviously, I'm just saying if, if we were to interpret it in other ways. Yes. Yes. No, 100%. It was, yeah. it was a moment of commitment for me. Um, I think that, if we want to operate on this realm of myth, we should be cultivating these sensitivities. Yeah. Um, I think oh, yeah. the ideal that we're reaching for is actually a world that's re-enchanted in a lot of ways and is re-imbued with meaning. The world um, is enchanted. The world is obviously enchanted. If, if you are open to it, it's very obviously there. You see these coincidences that, you know, if you are think about math, there, there's no way they could ever happen. And they happen all the time. You know, they happen to people constantly. And uh, they just don't open themselves up to it. I, I mean, atheism is is just a way of viewing the world, right? I mean, it's just a way of seeing things that says, no, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's magic. But it's like, there is magic. It's just you call it something else. <laughs> you know, like that's, yes. that's all it is. And if, if you cut yourself off from that, then you, you won't have the ability to to operate on on this level of myth. Right, right. Well, and I think that that's what our side is definitely we're going to have to go there, you know, because, um, yeah, I just think that that's where the fear comes from. You know, the fear comes from fear of death, really. I mean, it's and our guys, even today, are so much more scared than men of the past. 
You know, I mean, like our guys are terrified of going to jail. Like in prior years, going to jail was like step one. Like that, that was, yeah. yeah, that was just like, yeah, of course I'm going to jail. And I'm like, well, that's the very beginning of what I'm going to have to do, you know, uh, for speaking out again, I'm not, I'm absolutely not saying, uh, to commit any sort of violence. I just mean for speaking, you know, we're, we're just lucky because we're, you know, we have America free speech. So we're very used to like not being in prison for speaking, but most men throughout all of history were very accustomed to the potential of being in prison just for talking. Yes. Yes. And uh, that reality could be changing um, if we see the case of Ricky Vaughn. Mm -hmm. Well, it already is uh, the case in, in everywhere besides America, right? In Canada and UK, you can get thrown in jail for a bad, bad thing. Yes. But to bring it back to the statues in the public, yeah. in the public squares, uh, the thing is that our, our adversaries here are actually, they're already operating on this realm of myth. And so they've abandoned rationality. And so it, it, for, for a few decades, the left had this veneer of rationality and that came with the atheism movement, this idea that they represented the scientific point of view, the scientific man. Um, but that that's something that is being completely abandoned and you can see that in their symbology and what they express in public with the installation of these statues. They, they understand the symbolic landscape. And so when these statues go up, uh, they're trying to do two things. Is one, um, rally their own supporters. And two, they're trying to demoralize their adversaries. Um, and so anyone who says that, oh, they're just statues, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it's just a statue, bro. Like, what do you care? Um, well, um, clearly someone cares. Someone cares enough to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for these art installations and to have them displayed in very prominent places. So it, it, it's something that we should care about. Right. Right. But how does that stand in for the abandoned? What, what were you saying about the abandonment of rationalism? So you, you might think that a, a rationalist regime would put statues of its thinkers in public. And for a while, oh, that yeah. was that was what the left would do is that, the, you know, they would take their their literary heroes or their political leaders, their thinkers uh, and put statues of them in the public square. But they've stepped beyond that, and now they're just straight up putting uh, gods or demons, you know, depending on how you look at it. Um, and so they've, they've abandoned any pretense of rationality. They're going back to something uh, very, very much older. They're summoning egregores, essentially. That's what they're doing. And so if you want to understand it just on a materialist level, um, they're... They're summoning complexes of belief into being where they didn't exist before, um, which are because because they're symbols and they represent um, ideals. They they bring along um, the the color of what they represent, and they they tinge the discourse. 
uh, with yeah. with everything related to them. Like their words, you know, like belonging. You know, these these like creepy, slithery, they're snake words, you know, they're 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 uh just these creeping hearts. They 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 create this gross, slimy feeling in you, you know, these the, the this therapy speak that they use. And they're and they're meant to frighten. They're not they're not yeah. beautiful images, they're frightening, they're they're aggressive images. Um, they're, they're hideous, you know. They're medusas. They are hideous in their own way, you know. That's yes. They're, they're disgusting. They're not beautiful, right? The, but the question is beyond just lack of beauty, though. It's not just ugliness, though. There, there is a character to their imagery. There's an aesthetic, and it's this snake likeness. Why? Like, why? Why did? Why is that the content of their imagery? Do you have any idea? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, on on one level, it's because they're they're reaching back to ancient archetypes, um, snake imagery. It's associated with earth cults, and um, they they have this idea of uh, pre male utopia yeah. uh, where everyone existed in harmony, and that's that's associated with with low things and water, um, and so they're they're drawing on on these same images um on on also they're they're just objectively symbols of of power um snakes are 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 fearsome animals a lot of people are afraid of snakes um right yeah like putting putting horns on on an individual that you know like a person that that suggests a, a commingling with nature um so oh yeah yeah that's it's like the animal the animalization is there there's it's i mean yeah kabbalistically that is like going to the animal soul you yes. know it's adopting the animal yes yes and so it's yeah it's the yeah. low it's the sonic it's it's the subterranean um where it's 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 a it's a total union with with the earth um and it, you know if you read camille paglia this is this is what what uh she's completely against she's she's in favor of uh the the solar free i mind the the ideal of of yeah. of perception from from the heights of of rationality total total clarity um and and individuality and so these things are in in opposition to to you know the the final union with earth which is which is death is that we're we're all equal in, in death right so final question then then i'll let you go um what do you say to some to a woman for example who says you know you you talk a lot in the piece you have this amazing um fact that you know historically since the division of labor and agricultural revolution only one out of 17 men has reproduced and this goes back to hypergamy and the the, the longhouse and a female dominated society of harems because you know women are only chasing the alpha males in whatever society that they're in and so therefore most men just kind of get left out in the cold but these societies can never go anywhere because they can't build anything because it just keeps getting ripped down over and over again. 
Um, and so you have this amazing paragraph of like historically how like men of different levels of stature got a certain number of wives. And, you know, we're clearly kind of heading in that direction again. But what, what I would ask is if you're a woman, right. And you're basically admitting, I mean, you're saying that the past, however much time of Western civilization has been this Greek ideal you know, like we've lived in this m more male ideal, right? Like you're kind of you're kind of agreeing with that in a way. So if you if you're a woman, why wouldn't you want this? Like why wouldn't you want Medusa land and Medusa people and for the world to just be like crawling with totally earth cult harems with no rules the besides? You know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't you want, if that's what your base instinct as a woman, why would you not want to bring about that world? Sure. Sure. And, and so I should, I should clarify uh, one thing from the study. It's that they identified a particular period in history in which one in 17 men reproduced. Oh, sorry. Um, I got that wrong. That, <laughs> sorry. I tweeted that too. Sorry. That was, yeah, that was for a few thousand years, but then uh, oh, wow. things, things changed back uh, to, oh, okay. to much, to, to parody essentially. Oh, um, okay. It is my bad. I should delete that tweet. I will. Oh no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so women have an impulse to build as well is that for a woman, uh, to be a to be her own warrior queen and uh, to be the head of her own household with her husband, that's that's not something that only men believe. That's that's something that women want as well, and that's something that women want um, for their sons as well. Is that and this is something that you see in the Perseus myth with uh, Danae's support for for Perseus himself. Is that she doesn't want to be married. She doesn't want to be the second or third wife or the tenth the tenth wife of this creepy old guy um she she wants to make her own way and she there's 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 an equality that exists between one husband and one wife that doesn't exist under systems of polygamy where there's one man and um a woman might be one of one of seven or, or one of eight um and that's that's something to be desired and that's something that a lot of women desire um and so what what it requires is independence of spirit. Um, when a, a man and a woman make a household together, what they're essentially doing is they're 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 making a bet against the whole world, uh, where instead of you know integrating themselves into some other kind of system, uh, they 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 make a union together, and they decide to 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 raise their own children who, who won't belong to anyone else um and to be independent um themselves just together and that's that's a beautiful idea um and that's something that uh it it's uh it's a completely different vision of of what the good is you know aside from the polygamist one but it's 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 a beautiful one that really doesn't have to be justified um because it's so fundamental you, you know, you either see it or you don't, but enough, enough people see it and a lot, enough men and enough women see it that, um, it, it, it works. It's, 
it, it's worked for thousands of years. It worked for Perseus. Um, he and the princess who he rescued, they lived happily ever after in Mycenae. And they founded a citadel there. They had many children. Um, they were actually they founded a dynasty actually called the Perseids. Um, and from from their root came many heroes and and many princesses. Actually, the the wife of Odysseus was actually descended from from Perseus and Danae. And so that's that's something really beautiful. It's um, it's it's individuality. It's um, it's it's uh, it's differentiation. Um, these 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 massive polygamous systems. Essentially, what they do is they they erase all differences between individuals in order to integrate them into some corporate system. Um, but the chance to strike out on your own and and form your own household. Yeah. Um, yeah is um is is where is where the the personalities and and the characters of of those great stories emerge totally and yeah as you've said in the piece it's like these arise in situations where going outside is like certain death you know but that's what we're doing we are going outside and we're not dying as much as sometimes we want to but okay, um, so thanks, man, dude. This was great. This was really, really great. So where, where uh, talk for? I have to plug this in because it got unplugged. But just uh, what, uh, what's next? Where can what's going to be happening with Myth Pilot and you going forward? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, people can find me on MythPilot.com. Um, I'm going to be writing much more. Um, next up. I have a deep dive on Genesis, going right back to the beginning, Adam and Eve. Um, very, very, very relevant to, to what we've been discussing today. Um, and, you know, in, in the future, as I develop as a writer, uh, there will be more fiction and, and short stories and maybe a novel someday. So that's, um, that's, that's my great ambition. Yeah, you got to talk to Passage about that. Uh, passage, passage press, of course. Um, when yes. you're ready to, when you're ready to pull the trigger on that, but yeah, no, you have to write a book. Yeah. That's absolutely mandatory for sure. Um, yeah, no, this piece, I was completely blown away by this. I, I, you know, you just sent it to me and I was like, Oh, I'll prepare for the podcast. And I read it and I was like, Holy shit. I did not realize you were like going to that level. I mean, I've always loved your writing and I've always loved your stuff, but this is like your magnum. This is like, I, a huge hit you know all the comments are saying i've never read an essay this good before and i totally agree so great work appreciate Matt. it appreciate it yeah thanks so much thanks so much and uh we're on the same page yeah your your piece uh hits all the same all the same themes we're moving in the same direction together yeah absolutely no i i agree man uh cool dude well yeah i'll put all your links in the thing and uh thanks for coming on all right. Thanks so much, Isaac. You take care. Great to be on today.